right here, right now, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. For this moment that we have together, and we do have it together because we're communicating, we're, we're interacting. In fact, we could use the theological term koinonia, which means a high-level spiritual fellowship uh, produced by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So this communication that you are part of on the Paul McGuire Report goes all across the United States, and it just blows my mind on a constant basis to see how many people there are from so many different areas inside the U.S., and that's a blessing to be able to talk to you. And then the other thing is that at this critical time, to, to be able to come together both spiritually, because that's what we're doing right now, and physically and electronically is mind-blowing. So when we say fellowship, remember, any Bible teacher worth his or her salt knows that the basic pillars, the foundations for Christian growth are things like prayer, reading the Word of God, evangelism, leading people to the Lord, and fellowship. Fellowship is, is critical because fellowship is it's not supposed to be, you know, you sit around and talk about the, the score of the football game or the basketball game or whatever. That's fine for, for a limited percentage of the time. But there are other environments where you're supposed to talk about those type of things that, that are there for that reason. Okay, people get together for different reasons. On this program, we are intentional. We have a specific goal, and we know how we're going to get from where we are to the specific goal, because I've been doing this for 50 years, for crying out loud. And so when I say this is also koinonia, and my friend Chuck Misler, before he went on to be with the Lord, and before his wife Nancy went on to be with the Lord, he, he started his early ministry in Southern California. He called it Koinonia House, and then he called it K-House. And both Chuck Misler and was in my studio uh, and on my show constantly for you know long for a decade, and his wife also was a regular guest. And so when he talked about fellowship, I I always incorporated my own understanding because fellowship when you interact, when you take time out of your day to interact, talk to, listen to, have some kind of relationship with somebody who's definitely and authentically born again by the Spirit of God, somebody who's endeavoring to live their life according to the plan and God's Word, then it makes it possible, it opens up a door in the invisible realm, if you will, for you to begin to communicate to this person or persons when you know that they're truly born again and the Spirit of God lives inside them, when you know that they've placed the Word of God as their their central guidance system, what that does, when you have that knowledge or the Lord leads you into that knowledge about somebody supernaturally, what happens is a brand new environment is birthed in the invisible realm. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is Jesus Christ told us where two or more of us gather together in his name, 
there I will be in the midst of them. So this is a kingdom law, a key of the kingdom. These are the kind of statements that when Jesus Christ makes them, you want to listen up. You want to know that Bible verse by memory, and you want to dig the depths of those verses, those promises, because they are literal diamond mines and gold mines of infinite treasure of wisdom. So let's repeat what Jesus said, because he meant it to you and I. Okay, he said, where two or more of us are gathered together in his name, Jesus' name, there he is in the midst of us. So what Jesus is saying, that one of the laws of the kingdom of heaven is this, in this fallen world, when two or more people who are authentically born again and placing the word of God as their primary guidance system, when people who are truly born again come together and enter into a relationship, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you're one part of the relationship, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in them, and they're the other part of the relationship. So when you come together, assuming that Jesus, to one degree or another, is Lord of your life, and that you really take Jesus seriously at his word, making those assumptions, what will happen if those assumptions are correct regarding the, the spiritual growth of the individual you're communicating to? What will happen is a dynamic, a kingdom dynamic will occur, where doors will open in a further and deeper way, and your verbal communication, your nonverbal communication, the books you talk about, the movies you talk about, the passing comments you make, which you, you don't really think have all that much significance because they're just like throwaway lines that you use. In other words, the full spectrum of human communication, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is going on back and forth. But when the Spirit of God is present in two or more of the people talking, then this communication becomes not mere human communication, as in the case of gossip or whatever. This becomes a kingdom dynamic where fellowship, koinonia, fellowship of the saints, we're all saints that we're born again, the fellowship of the saints occurs. So what that means is God opens the door in this conversation, in this relationship, and he uses the, the relationship as a means of feeding his people with the truth, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, regenerating them from within, making them alive, anointing them out of fellowship. See, fellowship is really misunderstood. Fellowship is a key to a kingdom door that opens up life in Jesus in all its possibilities. But sometimes the only way you can unlock those doors is if you are willing to, not in a legalistic or cult-like sense, but if you're willing to, to uh, talk to other believers and talk about what God's doing in your life and, and listen to what God's doing in their life, that interchange, that communication is fellowship, it's koinonia, and it releases, now this is, this is, this is what you've got to focus in on, it releases the supernatural power of God into everyday life, into everyday relationships, and it introduces the Spirit of God into the mundane matters of life. Now, what do I mean by that? Part of the fall, part of the fact that we're in a fallen world, is this evidence. Young kids are right, by the way, when they talk about this. The evidence is called boredom. Whenever you're watching entertainment or a movie, a film, reading a book, whatever, and if you are bored, then there's either something wrong with you, or 
there's something wrong with the content. And what I mean by that is on a spiritual dynamic level, the content of your conversation, if it's producing boredom, is a evidence that the content that you're focusing in on is essentially spiritually dead and lifeless. Therefore, it's not infusing you, the other person, or this reality. It's not infusing anybody or anything with the agape, abundant life of God that is present if you open the door to it. So in true koinonia, you you have true koinonia is an elevated conversation, which ideally will occur and provide revelation, supernatural revelation of many layers of your personality that you may not have ever understood before. When you're hanging out with people in the world, when you're hanging out with people who are backslidden or what we call carnal Christians, these are people that claim to be Christians, but they're not walking in the Holy Spirit. They're not uh, renewing their minds with the Word of God. So, assuming you're talking and interacting with real Christians that are alive in the Spirit of the Lord and are being renewed by the Word of God, then a supernatural influx of divine life, divine power, will begin to be released and magnified in every area of your personality and every area of the other person's personality, and it will also infuse the very atmosphere. It could be a business, it could be a church, it could be in a home. It will infuse, eventually, it will infuse the very atmosphere that you're in and infuse it with the life of God, which comes from the Spirit of God, renewing all things. That's heavy stuff, but it's all true. You can bank on it. And when I say you can bank on it, I definitely don't mean that you put your confidence totally in earthly banks and financial systems, which are in many cases dead on arrival, and secretly they're lying to you because the reality is that in certain cases they are bankrupt. So you all, in any kind of relationship, business relationship or human relationship, you need to be discerning. Now, the critical thing here is that when the presence of God is infused in our reality because of things like fellowship, what that does is fellowship is one means among many of transmitting and infusing people with the supernatural power of God. Now, this is not really understood by most Christians, and I didn't understand it for, for many years. But I remember when I was like a relatively new Christian that God promoted by his grace, to be producing these huge contemporary Christian music concerts on Times Square and Broadway. We flew in the biggest acts at the time. I was not only the host and the producer, but I was the youth evangelist leading people to Christ every night. And, you know, I was barely saved, two and a half years saved. But God saved me from literally the abyss, and therefore I wasn't in a hurry to backslide and go back to the abyss. So the, the thing that I'm trying to say is that um, numerous times interacting with these Christians in Manhattan, I remember going over to the pastor's house and his wife and, and many of the girls and the guys of the church, you know, had some kind of potluck dinner and somebody made a kind of a dinner. And we all gathered around and it was for fellowship. So we were eating together. We were talking together. We were praying together. And when I arrived, I had some kind of flu, and I was kind of sick. After about 45 minutes of being in the presence of, of these Christians, 
I, I walked over to the pastor's wife with a, a big smile on my face, and I said to her, you know, when I walked in here, I was feeling terrible. But just being in this atmosphere where the presence of the Lord is with other Christians, not only do I feel healed of the flu, I feel, I feel good. I feel, you know, filled with, with life, the life of God. Now, that supernatural occurrence has happened to me countless times, and most likely, whether you are paying attention to it or not, most likely it has happened constant, uh, countless times to you. I, again, I repeated this from something that happened a couple of weeks ago, where this guy that I knew, who was a very brilliant person, out of the blue, because I only knew him from a uh, kind of a shallow business uh, relationship, but out of the blue, he blurts out about the power of fellowship. Now, first of all, I had no idea whatsoever that he was a Christian. And why he said that was, I said to him, like, you know, impromptu, like I did in the other occasions I mentioned, I said that, I don't know what's going on, I said, but right now, as we're talking and stuff, I said, I walked in here and, you know, it's like something happened, something changed in the atmosphere, and I feel unusually good and up and motivated and healthy and all kinds of things. And then he blurts out. Remember, I didn't even know this guy was a Christian. I thought he was an atheist. And then he blurts out to me, and he's not a theologian or a pastor or whatever. He blurts out to me with a big grin on his face. He says my name, and he says, and that's Paul. That's the power of fellowship. Wow. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway is that in this world, fighting the spiritual warfare, interacting with people day by day, one of the essential things that we need in our life, an essential nutrient, spiritual nutrient, if you like, is we need to be in fellowship with true Bible-believing Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit and are putting the Word of God first on a regular basis. Because when we fellowship, we're being spiritually nourished and we're being spiritually energized. So this is an essential. Dr. Bill Bright, who wrote a book pamphlet that was given out to millions of people, it was called The Four Spiritual Laws. And he talked about things like faith and feelings and fellowship and stuff like that. And he listed fellowship, or koinonia, as one of the pillars of Christian growth. So, admittedly, we need to be in prayer. The Bible needs to be our guide. We need to be discerning because, hey, wake up, watch out, look out, use your spiritual eyes to discern. Not everybody who pretends to be a lamb is a lamb. Some are wolves in sheep's clothing. So there are people swept up in false doctrine following false Apollos and all kinds of spiritual warfare casualties are, will attempt to interact with us and infiltrate us. That should not lead us to develop a consciousness of paranoia or fear. Did you hear what I said? It's critical that you don't give over to a consciousness of paranoia and fear. What you need to do is exercise another kingdom principle. This is another key that when you open the door, it will release this awesome power of God's kingdom through your life and into the earth. See, God has given us all these keys of the kingdom or to the kingdom, but they're only good if we use those keys to open the doors of power and blessing and wisdom that they were designed by God in the first place to to open. So, 
another kingdom key that we want to open is this key. Um, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we should never have a fear consciousness or fear programming. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, like power from on high, the dunamis, dynamite, explosive power of God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the dunamis, dynamite, explosive detonation force of God. The power of the Holy Spirit is first and foremost. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, Christ-like love, agape love, Jesus Christ, of power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind is a mind that operates. It's a balanced mind, not an unbalanced mind. A sound mind operates with intellectual, spiritual balance and maturity in every area. You are known and respected. You will be, excuse me, you will be known and respected by many people. God will promote you in the earth. God will raise you up. People will seek you out as a man or a woman of wisdom to get sound counsel. There are many blessings in store for you if, if, if you're willing to surrender your life to God and truly pay the price and become an avid student of his word, always remembering you cannot understand the word of God unless first you believe in the integrity of the word of God. So, you believe in the word of God, you have faith in the word of God, so you got power, love, and a sound mind. So this principle of sound-mindedness is that you can rely on the fact, because you have the Spirit of God in you, the Holy Spirit, that leads us into all truth, spiritual and non-spiritual, because you have the Holy Spirit, which grants you power, love, and a sound mind, and the power from God, the dunamis dynamite power of God. And now you walk by faith. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, and your reputation has gone far and wide as a man or woman of wisdom and counsel, because you consistently offer up wise counsel, wise answers, and wisdom, because you have paid the price. That means you spent the thousands of hours necessary. You want a shortcut? Go work at Jack in the Box. I'm not putting you down if that's where you work, but I'm telling you, if your, your goal is to be a Bible teacher, you're going to have to study to show yourself approved. So the critical thing here is power, love, and a sound mind, and you need to be willing to pay the price in terms of investing thousands of hours of study and research and reading and reading and reading, studying the Bible, meditating on the Bible, uh, understanding philosophy, science, the whole spectrum of uh, scientific, technological, and intellectual gifts, history, etc., And all of this accumulates. The mere reading of God's Word, listen to me carefully, I know what I'm talking about. I have walked personally in the blessing that God has already given you, or that He's giving you now, or He's about to give you in an unusual way. I have made that journey many times. Because remember, when I was a young boy, and I'm going to tell you this, and it's going to offend somebody, and because you're not supposed to brag and stuff like that, but I get really sick of censoring my testimony and my story to make it fit in with the the average paradigm, because my story, just like your story, may not fit in the average paradigm. So when I was a kid, I had some really smart adults and really smart kids. Some of these people are household name and they're famous worldwide right now. And, And I mean, it was embarrassing 
But I was regularly called a genius by some of the most intelligent kids I know. People, I, I can't reveal their careers, but they've gone on to Ivy League schools to be top-level scientists and stuff. And some of them are world famous for their, for their genius in certain areas. They were calling me a genius all the time. And that was simply because I read and knew stuff. I thought outside of the box. I thought, I, had a, I thought on a higher level. I wasn't a Christian at the time. But when I became a Christian, all the preliminary work and study that I did paid off. Because all these books and stuff that I was reading that didn't seem to have a, a rational reason why I would choose to read such a book. I mean, again, you've heard me say this, but my major at the University of Missouri was uh, in the brand new field of psychology. It was a field called Altered States of Consciousness. And my other major was in the filmmaking department of the University of Missouri, where I majored in filmmaking. So I had a dual major. Now, you know, when you're, you're outside the box, even though you're real and you got documentation, documentation to prove it, a lot of people don't like you. And the majority of them claim to be Christians. So they would rather try to manipulate the facts about my life and lie about the facts of my life than actually take the time and have some integrity, both intellectually and as a researcher, and as somebody that should be under the constraint of wanting to tell the truth. So, I mean, I have a regular parade of what I call the Bozo the Clown Club that, that enters my life in various ways, and they're always trying to attack me. Well, if you're standing up for truth, welcome to the club. You're going to get attacked, and your primary people who are going to attack you are Christians. I know so many guys and girls that are powerful lights for the Lord in this culture, and they're all under attack, as I am. So one girl, among many, he's lying. I'm always lying. <laughs> hey, look, get it, get it together. I'm either lying or telling the truth. But you, you, but you know what? I'm talking to these people. You know what? You haven't paid the price to determine through your research and study whether or not I am lying or I am telling the truth. So you're just a, a fog machine blowing hot air. So they accused me of lying. They said, oh, he, he didn't make up. He didn't major in altered states of consciousness. I, well, I certainly did. I certainly did. I have the exams, uh, the grades. I needed those grades, by the way. I couldn't get into other schools of higher education, like when I was working on my bachelor's, excuse me, no, when I was working on my master's in, in Christian theology. I wasn't allowed in this accredited university and seminary unless I could provide uh, my documented scholastic records of the classes I took and the grades I got when I was attending the University of Missouri. So I had to provide documentation or they would not have allowed me to enter the, the school where I would uh, major in uh, a master's in theology. And then they said, well, we called up the girl, what girl, what girl did you call up? You know, the girl that answers the desk at the University of Missouri, and they couldn't find any record of you being there, and they couldn't find any records of what course you took. Can you imagine how incredibly stupid on steroids you had to have to be to come to me with that argument filled with holes in it? I mean, do you have, I'm not, I'm not being mean-spirited. I'm just telling the truth to, to my enemies who are lacking integrity. Do you have any idea how stupid you sound when you call the University of Missouri trying to, first of all, if you contacted me and you were legitimate, I would have provided you with the material. But since you're illegitimate, I'm not under that obligation. 
So you call the University of Missouri, and this is who you talk to, because I went there, and I know how it works like most universities. There is a gigantic interior hall at the center of the University of Missouri. I forgot the name of the building, but it's the main building of the University of Missouri at Columbia. And by the way, did you bother to check my, my, my scholastic records at the right school? Because there's the University of Missouri in Columbia, and there's another University of Missouri somewhere in the St. Louis area. Two different schools. Hello, Zoe. So I went to the University of Missouri in Columbia. Now, the reason I have called the University of Missouri, it was about 20 years ago, because that's when I was going for my master's, and I had no problem. They got my records. They had legal printouts saying I attended the University of Missouri, that my major in psychology was altered states of consciousness, and that I had a dual major of filmmaking. And it contained all my grade scores. And by the way, all of my grades in altered states of consciousness were either A plus, A, and I think I had one A minus, but most were A plus. And so, yes, I legitimately, academically majored in altered states of consciousness. I have a great, I have grades to back it up, my papers, my tests, et cetera, et cetera. But when you call the University of Missouri, okay, let's do the math here, Airhead. I'm really, I'm venting here. So you got to remember I'm human when the day's done. So I'm going to vent towards my, literally, I think it's a fair statement to say, incompetent critics. You're incompetent because you claim to be great researchers of the truth, and and in fact, you're inadequate in researching the truth. You have a girl research me. When I attended the University of Missouri, okay, let this register in your brain that's atrophied from too much aspartame. Let Let me give you a factoid. Ready? And write it down in your notebook. I attended the University of Missouri, I believe the exact year was in 1974. Now put that in your backslidden pipe and smoke it. I attended the university in 1974. Do you realize how many decades ago that was? 74 to 84, one decade. 84 to 94, two decades. 94 to, I don't know. Uh, I'm losing my pace here, 104, four, three decades, 104. I don't know. It's something like 55 years. It's an approximate. I, don't, I can't do anything without my calculator. So you call the University of Missouri. You're speaking to a girl who's probably 22, 20 years old, 22 years old. She has a part-time student job. She sits in this big hallway by a desk with other ladies and guys, and they look up, they answer phone calls, and they look up the student's name based on the birth date of the student, based uh, on the social security number of the student, and they can usually, in minutes, get your complete scholastic record, which emphatically proves I majored in an altered state of consciousness and what my grades were. But you call approximately 50 years back into the past. And let me remind you, back when I was going to school, here's a reality check. There were no cell phones. There were no laptop computers. There were no computer records. Everything was done on paper or typewriters or, you know, the way they would erase typewriters and stuff. Files were kept by typewriters, ink, pens, filling out forms. And then you would have to walk into the archives, which were these massive rooms where you'd walk up and down the hallway of the archives looking for the year. Like for me, the year would have been 1974, when I entered the University of Missouri, 
looking for the last name, my name, by spelling it properly and not spelling it improperly like 99% of the people do, because you're not going to find any record of me if you're spelling my name wrong. Or if you don't go back and dig all the way back. And then there were no computers, there were no laptops, there were no cell phones, so there are no electronic records. Today, the amount of space they need to, to, to warehouse archives is a very small space because it's all being stored in giant computers that have been backed up. So the bottom line is, because you incompetently did research on me, you didn't go back far enough to, to determine the true date I was accepted into the University of Missouri. You, you didn't uh, bother to talk to somebody who'd been around the, the college and university a while that would know uh, how the record switched over from paper to electronic. You probably didn't know my birth date. You didn't know the year I attended the University of Missouri. And as far as I know, Altered States of Consciousness, after I finished taking it for all the courses that were offered, at some point, I left the University of Missouri, and I have no idea whether they continued on with the program or not. It's not my problem. All I know is when I wanted to find out proof, because uh, a very strict uh, seminary and university, they wanted my scholastic records from the University of Missouri, and I had to supply copies of my grade uh, point averages, what uh, grades I got in different classes, a list of all the classes I took. And when I looked at my records, which took me five minutes to get, by the way, the girl was able to find me instantly, no problem. And I was able to look at my essays. I was look, able to look at my test questions. And I was pleasantly just surprised to see in class after class that I took in altered states of consciousness. I was pleasantly surprised because I thought I was like partying and doing psychedelic drugs. So I secretly feared, like, my God, I'm afraid to look at my records. Well, when I looked at my records, I was blown away because my professor, who was very strict, gave me on every uh, scholastic performance, every essay, every test, my final grade for the course. Final grade for the course was either A plus or A. I had one A minus, but everything I produced was in the A, A plus category for the most part. Why? Because I knew the subject backwards and forwards before I even began to study it. So there is documented impeccable truth that backs up my claims. And the assertion that I've made to literally millions and millions of people around the world, because that's the number God has graced me to talking to, uh, I have told them the factual biography of my life, because what part of what makes my life different than the bean counter's life that attacked me. What made my life different was my willingness to push the envelope, to go where no man went before, to research and study and catapult into these very esoteric fields, but they're accredited fields like altered states of consciousness. That's what makes me me. That's why millions of people pay attention to my testimony and listen to it. So when somebody who claims to be a Christian and they publish books and they publish a newsletter and they have a website and whatever else they do, and, and I have thought in certain areas, because I try to operate with integrity, despite the fact that they lied about me, there have been a number of times that I have quoted them in other areas of research because their research was very well done, and I complimented them publicly. Because I don't have a mean-spirited thing about them, but they did not extend me the same grace. And the problem is they are, instead of attacking our spiritual enemies, 
instead of waging war against Antichrist and the global reset and providing a a biblical apologetic of these these frontline spiritual battlefield issues, instead of doing that, you cowardly attack the men and women of God who are laying their lives down in total risk for your freedoms, people like me. Now, I've said what I had to say, but I'm saying this for this reason. You have to understand the nature of the battle we're in. You can't just think you understand it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You really need to master the dynamics of the spiritual, technological, scientific, psychological operations, warfare that we are deeply involved in in America and around the world right now. If you don't really become savvy on these sophisticated psychological warfare and scientific mind control, if you don't become savvy about this, they are going to exploit your ignorance as they did in Nazi Germany, as they did in communist China, as they did in communist Russia, as the globalist elite have done throughout history, beginning with Mystery Babylon and the Tower of Babel. They're going to take all this disinformation and lies and delusion and deception, and they're going to use it to take you down. And I know this is corny, but I kind of like it. And he's not the best person to quote. But they're going to take you down as, what? what's his name? The, the, the male actor who starred in Taxi, uh, Taxi Driver, which was totally unsuitable. Oh, the actor Martin Scorsese was attacking, I think he was attacking Trump. and and. He's at the Academy Awards, and he shouts out on global television uh, and to the audience. He goes, with his Brooklyn accent, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take you all the way down to Chinatown. It was better than that. And so I like that. So to, to, to my enemies who fabricate lies in order to create disinformation about me, that's what it is. The military has everything you've done to me, and you know who you are. You know who you are. Everything you've done to me falls under the umbrella of a specific uh, uh, category in advanced military warfare. So every phase of your operation that you've launched against me falls into a specific category of military science, uh, a specific military discipline designed to take down your enemies. And our military is extremely good at doing that. So things like psyops or psychological warfare or lying because you want to marginalize a person's reputation or using MKUltra mind programming. And you know, all of my books expose all, exposed all this because I began to find out about all this, the truth, by the way, when I was in third grade and read Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World, about a futuristic scientific dictatorship that ruled the world through drugs, sexual immorality, and brainwashing. And that's the society that the globalist elite are trying to replicate, the society of Brave New World. And his brother, Julian Huxley, the first transhumanist, his goal was to unify all the United Nations organizations, including the UN Educational Organization, UNESCO, etc., and promote Common Core, which is designed to dumb down students, to promote perverse sex education, and to promote transhumanism, or making man God through technology or genetic engineering. So all the, the sciences that they use in modern warfare is, okay, we're going we're gonna to come back in a nanosecond, and we're going to revisit in a very short period this 
powerful truth. I'm giving you layer by layer, precept by precept, powerful truths that when you take the time to open them up, they're going to reveal to you the real nature of our spiritual and psychological warfare here on planet Earth. You cannot survive without this knowledge. You cannot be victorious without this knowledge. You cannot fulfill your last day's assignment without this knowledge. That's how imperative it is. We're not playing games. Let me remind you. So visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. By the way, I just was reading. I went to paulmcguire.us and I saw all the great videos, Paul McGuire Report archives, articles, all the tremendous stuff that we're giving out to millions of people free uh, over the years. And we uh, uh, are offering now, if you want to grab yourself, and you need to grab yourself a copy of Power from One Eye, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, um, The uh, Day the Dollar Died, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1 and 2, Conquering the Matrix, and other books that are power-packed books. And I'm offering those book packages, listen up, at 34% off. So, you know, I'm not trying to to squeeze out every, the last penny out of you. I'm trying to empower you, even if we lose money in the short term. Because my I believe that what I'm planting in your heart, spirit, and mind will multiply. And it will change this world and this nation. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. And I have been a heavy-duty student of many types of military sciences because I'm a deep-dive researcher. So I studied in depth the MK Ultra program, the Nazi mind control scientists in World War II, the Nazi genetic scientists, the Nazi rocket scientists. I studied the fact that the father of MK Ultra, which which operates under the principle of pain drugs and hypnosis and the use of the drug, a psychedelic drug like mescaline or LSD. And what a lot of people don't know is the Nazi MKUltra program was secretly conceived by the author of Brave New World, Aldous Huxley. And he coordinated, listen up, I know what I'm talking about. The documentation, the account of what happened is in my book, Power From On High. Quit walking around like an airhead and understand what really happened in our nation and when. So, uh, these guys invented MKUltra. Now, MKUltra is a very radical way where psychiatrists from many different nations, like the Nazis, the Russians, and other nations, and uh, America. So, for example, after World War II, America smuggled in to the United States of America, something like 15,000 Nazi rocket scientists, Nazi mind control scientists, and Nazi DNA genetic scientists. And they recreated MKUltra, which is an advanced mind control program. MKUltra is how they create Manchurian candidates. It's how they program people to be assassins. Now, when you're working in the propaganda arm of a large government, whatever government it is, they have a variety of strategies that they employ to erase or make their scientific pro- uh, propaganda and to er- make the things that they do disappear. So the way they make things disappear, 
that would provide conflicting information about them to the American public is they use a number of techniques. One, they use PSYOPs, psychological operations. Another thing, and I've observed them with great scrutiny, manage the revelation of MKUltra and LSD and stuff like that, all of which I began exposing 50 years ago. Hollywood is filled with screenwriters, filmmakers, TV shows, feature films. I read what I call my signature. In other words, my writing, my ideas, my thesis, written meticulously in a very individual and very different style that I, the author, can recognize a mile away. I know this isn't somebody else writing this stuff. I know it's me writing this stuff because the giveaway is they keep using my unique signature, which are like the comedic lines and some of the emotional lines. And there's a certain high-speed, poetic, almost rock and roll style rhythm to some of my writing, mixed with high-level intellectualism and, and, and an affirmation of true biblical theology. Very few people, almost none, can, can imitate my writing, so I recognize it. And what I recognize is I'm constantly running into TV shows and films and everything else, and even listening to other Christian speakers, where they are essentially stealing my, my, my stuff word for word, using my buzzwords, uh, uh, making it sound like they were the ones that discovered all these principles. Okay, no whining, no crying. You just get over it and you move on with what God told you to do. Okay, you ignore it because it isn't worth thinking about. So I constantly hear lines in you know things like movies or episodics like Stranger Things and these sci-fi shows and guests on this show and that show and Christian leaders and especially Christian prophecy teachers and and Christian pastors that are now forty years late getting involved in Bible prophecy and a huge percentage of them are spouting out my words that were said my way in my time that have to be uniquely attributed to me because I actually lived through everything I said. They didn't. So it's a form of plagiarism. I forgive them. But, you know, really, if you're going to conduct yourself with integrity, all you have to do is make an effort within your message or your video or whatever, communicate your book, your article, that you, 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 make, you purposefully uh, identify your source, which in this case is me. So you identify me by, my, by name, the name of my book or the name of my message and the date, and you give me the appropriate credit for it. It's not that I'm on an ego trip, but if you don't get the credit for it, people are assuming that you're lying, like me, and making up these things when I'm not lying, and the people that are spouting them off got it originally from me. And that's just part of what you have to deal with. So the critical thing here is that there are so many Hollywood—this I know for a fact, okay? I've had many experiences in Hollywood in the biggest producers' offices, the biggest, no exaggeration. When I was an executive producer producing independent feature films like Wired to Kill, which was like a roadrunner road runner type film, uh, I promoted and it was the PR and marketing man for many other films, include the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. Nominated for a uh, Oscar, uh, the the film uh, 
the feature film exposing the abuse of the Indians. And uh, I promoted that, and I promoted many other movies behind the scenes. I almost never talk about it, and I'm going to talk about it in less than 30 seconds. When I was in Manhattan, by God's grace, synchronicity and God's grace, I met with, intentionally, the biggest producer who was behind the Jesus Film Project. Okay? And he turned out to be a guy named John Heyman, who was a big-time British producer of theater and film and television. Okay? And he had palatial offices not that far. No, his private office was just, uh, you know, a couple of hundred feet away from Calvary Baptist Church near the Russian Tea Room. So I met with him privately, one-on-one, because I'm bold when I'm prayed up and know my stuff. I met with him one-on-one, and I basically told him, and I'd already written it down and printed it out, and I said, here in my hands is a marketing, distribution, and PR plan for your proposed film, The Jesus Film Project. And um, I believe I can help you, and, you know, I kept it short, and he was very interested in meeting me. Okay, so the next meeting we had, uh, they moved into some really tall palatial skyscraper building where they owned half the floor. And I met with his entire marketing staff, most of them who were not Christians. And uh, essentially, this is when Campus Crusade was like a background player in this. I gave to, to John Heyman, the head of the whole Jesus Project thing, because, because I was leaving the state to, to heal my marriage. Uh, and I left him a marketing plan, John Heyman, that that would let them generate countless millions of dollars in profits, but also enable them and empower them to reach millions and millions of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I put it in his hands. When I put it in his hands, I didn't ask for anything. That was my way of blessing him and planting seed in a massive soul harvest. Campus Crusade for Christ ended up using probably at least 70% of my ideas. I mean, they just copied it out of my proposal. It happens all the time. I'm not going to name any names. They would probably deny it. I don't care whether they deny it. I have the proposal. <laughs> okay? So I didn't complain or whine about it. You know what? At that time in my life, I was uh, an independent producer, uh, writer. I, I was not an administrator. Of, of a large organizational system. And that's what you needed, a large organizational system operating on a global level, namely Campus Crusade for Christ, founded by Bill Bright. That, that organization had the wherewithal and the financing. They had people on the ground in all these obscure fallen nations. And so I allowed them to steal my uh, marketing proposal for the Jesus Film Project. And I released it to God. I planted it as a seed in, in, in the Great Harvest. I didn't try to, you know, squeeze $25,000 from them. I tried, to, I tried to be a blessing. So I let go of it. And, and I knew I did the right thing as the years went by because I kept meeting people working for the Jesus Film Project. And they were reaching and leading to Christ hundreds of millions of people. And then they began to lead to Jesus Christ over a billion people. So. In the long, eternal scheme of things, guess what? It didn't matter if Paul McGuire got the credit or the money. And you have to come to the place in your life when you're willing to lay down what you think you're entitled to from an earthly perspective. You have to be willing to lay it down, give it up, 
not because you're a fool and you're allowing yourself to get taken advantage of, but you're giving it up, yielding to the Spirit of God, because the truth of the matter was, I wanted to be God's servant. That meant I wanted to help steer my marketing plan into the hands of a a global ministry that could show the Jesus film into tribes and people all over planet Earth. And that's why a billion people got saved. A billion people got saved because I got out of the way and humbled myself. And one of the last things I did before I flew out of Manhattan is I turned it over to the producer of the, the Jesus Film Project. And so we have to know in life when we're called to release something or seed something, it's not always about us. Now, sometimes we need to fight militantly for our rights and for our credits and for the money. There's an entire area where Christians are naive. They're either too naive about giving away their intellectual property rights, or they're or they're overprotective and and think they and are not thinking about what God wants, and then they miss the opportunity to get the massive blessings because they're trying to control the minutia of God's plan. Get out of the way and let God, but use your brain in the process. Now, I did that, and I may never see an earthly reward. I don't tell it to that many people. I told it to you. I've told it to some other people. But I don't go, I don't go around putting down the Jesus Film Project. I worked with the, the head of Campus Crusade for Christ, shoulder by shoulder. I, I was his personal assistant when he released the I Found It campaign in Manhattan, New York City. I was his personal assistant. Uh, and, and basically was with him everywhere when he was speaking at the famous Carnegie Hall uh, Theater uh, to to very influential people about getting them to bankroll the I Found It campaign. And I remember it as if it was yesterday. Now, I had I, already planted these seeds in his ministry. I never told him that. I'm not looking for credit. But what I did ask him, Moments before he went on stage, and I tried to be sensitive because I know he had a more Baptist-type theology than I did, and I simply quietly said, Dr. Bright, may I have the privilege of just briefly praying for you and laying hands on you uh, before you go out to speak? And he wasn't trying to humor me. He was a great man of God, and he knew he was totally dependent upon the Spirit of God for effectiveness. So I just gently and unobtrusively put my hands on his shoulders And I think it was a 30 to 60 second prayer where I prayed the power of God, the blessing of God, and the anointing of God upon him and his speech, and that God's Spirit would move in the hearts of all the men and women gathered who needed to hear this message about how to evangelize our nation. So I prayed that prayer, and I fulfilled my assignment. Just like you will be presented with opportunities in life to fulfill your assignment, because all of us, this is the takeaway, all of us have been given at least one assignment or one mission from God. The reality is most of us have been given a, a wide spectrum of assignments assignments, and a wide spectrum or multiplicity of assignments that we're supposed to do before God. So we do them in faith, we pray over them, and that means sometimes releasing them and let go of them and allow God to move. Get out of the way and let God move. Because you see, the attitude from where you get this is what I'm trying to, to communicate with you. Deep calleth unto deep. I learned this from Dr. Jack Hayford, my spiritual father. You've got to come to the place in your walk with Christ as a man or a woman, if you're a spiritual leader, where you're willing to forfeit or give up getting the credit 
So and and get out of the way. So the most important uh, part of what you're doing is making sure God gets the credit and His Spirit is allowed to move unhindered. That's what it's all about. But I want to add one cautionary note of very strong biblical balance and wisdom to what I said. That is the ideal, getting out of the way, allowing God to get the credit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when you're involved in spiritual warfare, when you're involved in trying to do things for God, you are going to be attacked spiritually and usually by people. And the, the hook that Satan gets in their life to attack you is they're jealous of you, they want your power, they want your reputation, they want your respect, they want your name, they want to stand on the stage and minister, but, but all of it is rooted in impure reasons. They're not, they don't have those desires because they're truly seeking that God will move. They have those desires because they're truly seeking their promotion and fame. So I remember I just located in another state, another city, from where I was doing the Lambs Club. And at the Lambs Club, in very, you know, we had these giant posters and the artists and stuff, but in very tiny letters was the kind of branding for me and my ministry and my organization. And uh, it said something like Paul McGuire Producer, which was compared to the size of the other font and everything. It was a very small line, a line that you could see if you look for it, but it was totally, you know, low-key. It was obviously I was not, you know, going after the glory. But this one pastor and this lady who was his assistant, you would have thought I ran off with, with the ministry funds or something, because they, at the moment I had the artist put my name in those very tiny letters at the bottom of the poster, all hell broke loose. I was called into meetings accused of pride. I was called into meetings saying I had the wrong motive. All these lies were being said about me. You know why? I had flown from another city at my own expense. I, 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 I normally, when I produce these concerts, uh, generated large sums of money that went into the ministry sponsoring it. And um, I didn't get any money for it. I didn't want any money for it. I did it purely for the reasons of ministry, purely for the reasons of ministry. And yet I got attacked viciously and accused of all these wrong motives. So finally, it came to the point, I think, I, I, I stuck around, I think, but I disengaged myself. But I learned something. When you try to do something for God, you're going to be attacked by people. Now, God doesn't always let you look at the inner man of who's attacking you. But about four months went by, and all of a sudden, the truth emerged about this pastor attacking me and this lady. And the truth was, he secretly coveted having his name in giant letters on the poster. And he was allegedly accused of being involved in an improper romantic sexual relationship with some young woman who was attending his church. So he was committing adultery. And, and the reason he was fighting for the position is he had given over to a carnal desire for fame and fortune and stuff. So that's why the devil had a foothold in him, and that's why he attacked me. So we need to be discerning and remember that we have to wear the full armor of God in all spiritual battle environments. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Right now, time is running out. We are in a full-fledged 
psychological operation warfare psyops. The media is lying. You need to be very careful. Listen, I'm saying this from decades of wisdom and decades of study. If you walk around and simply absorb as true, or if you walk around and simply believe as true, every message by somebody like Q, or this secret group, or that secret group, or this secret group, there are currently now probably tens of thousands of front groups that are communicating lies, confusion, exaggeration, false hope, false fear, and all kinds of non-truths and all kinds of non-reliable information into the lives of ordinary Americans, into the lives of patriots, conservatives, and into the lives of Christians. And there are numerous players behind the scenes that have been trained heavily in psyops or psychological warfare. They've also been trained in propaganda. They've also been trained in uh, social engineering. They've also been trained in scientific mind control and technological mind control. You have to understand there's no way around it. This isn't science fiction. This is the level of the warfare that we're involved in right now. It incorporates all these categories, and you have to get up to speed. You have to understand when something is just anger or something is a definite move of the Holy Spirit. You cannot take anything at face value. Everything needs to be examined through the light of the Word of God and a biblical worldview. Everything needs to be examined by using the Holy Spirit as your spiritual radar or discernment system. I can tell you right now, and going back to the other election, that there are literally hundreds and thousands of front groups that have been heavily financed by all kinds of billionaires from conservative billionaires to Soros uh, and, and many, many super billionaires and trillionaires and, and their, their groups who are financing demonstrations. They're financing movements, and, and, and they're using things like controlled opposition. So that means they'll, they'll, front, they'll finance and promote a pro-Christian group, and yet at the same time, they'll, use, they'll, they'll corrupt or flip a pro-Christian group through propaganda and hypnosis and mind control, they'll flip them into being a, like an extremist, an extremist, crazy train group. You understand what I'm saying? Across the board, things are not what they appear to be. So even in the area of Q, well, who is Q? Right now, when you look on the internet, there are at least 100 Qs, or 100 people, or 100 entities claiming to be Q, but they're not all Q. I would suspect only a small handful are the real Q. Well, who is the real Q? Who's financing the real Q? It has to be somebody who has a deep level of psychological warfare, uh, a deep level of uh, politics, theology, the Bible, the, the dynamic of the conflict between the left and the right, and all kinds of things. And so you really have to, to be adept in studying things like the Constitution, the Federal Reserve, the United Nations, and everything else. So the reality is, and you can't dodge this bullet, you have to use your shield of faith. The reality is, Q has evolved into many, Q is a product of many different platforms, many different speakers, and many different PSYOP or psychological operation teams. It's not just one. 
Years ago, I was approached by somebody who claimed to be in regular and direct contact with Q. Now, um, when I began, I didn't know who Q was at the time. I mean, excuse me, I'd heard the name. But when I began reading the writings of Q and some of the videos supposedly coming out from Q, I recognized instantly that among a lot of these groups on the left and the right, I recognized instantly from their contents my signature, the specific, unusual, and particular and unique way I communicate the idioms that I use, the examples that I use, plus the backdrop of my biography and life story, which is totally unique. It's not something you can imitate in the PSYOPs operation. And so, so the person who was the intermediary who wanted me to meet Q, which I declined to meet uh, for a number of reasons, I began to realize that Q and many of the Q clones, their essential message was uh, a distillation of my central message, you know, the pilgrims and Puritans falling on the power of God. This, this unprecedented and never before used infusion of things like the power of the Holy Spirit, a biblical great awakening, a biblical revival, uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the satanic nature of communism, and on and on and on. Whoever Q was and whoever the planning teams were, whether they're in the military or some private corporation or they're connected with Tavistock in Britain uh, or the Rand Corporation or whatever, they were heavily studying and reading my entire list of books because I kept hearing my arguments, my documentation, my phraseology, and the unique way I communicate truths. I kept hearing it repeated in an echo chamber and I knew it was, a, it was a form of plagiarism. They were borrowing on my capital and my integrity and my knowledge in order to strategically open doors in the evangelical community. Okay, spilled milk. But later on, I found out that there were people in certain military divisions who specialized in the study of evangelical Christians the fine, point, the fine points of the theological differences of the timing of the rapture, and these military experts who were part of PSYOP programs and mind control programs and everything else were serious students of Bible prophecy and serious students of contemporary Christian leaders such as myself and others. But they were using it against Christians. So you have to be really careful, okay, whether it's Q, whether it's this group, whether it's that group, don't assume that they're opening lines or their taglines, and don't assume that what they say they are is really who they are. Because many of these people are pretending to be one thing, and in reality, they are agents for the deep state. And I'm going to repeat that. There is a huge percentage of teams, groups, advanced technology, agents and everything else spread all around the country and the world that that have memorized the narrative, the biblical narrative that people like me and others have put forward, which is always law-abiding and peaceful. The narrative that we put forward could never in any way, shape, or form be construed as even remotely threatening to the United States, because most of all, I'm a, a law-abiding patriot who believes in America. 
and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, and I am a Christian. So that's what I operate out of. But I began to see my words, my content everywhere, and um, I monitored it, and uh, I have a strategy in place that I can't reveal, but you need to understand that some of these people at the very top are highly sophisticated operators who have been trained by the intelligence agencies, and they have learned their spycraft in numerous countries and states like Great Britain with the Tavistock Institute, uh, uh, the Rand Corporation, Stanford Research Institute, <clears throat> Soros and the Tides Foundation, and all this stuff, man. Uh, the, the, the military intelligence and PSYOP programs being taught at uh, West Point, and on and on and on. First of all, let me say it again. I am a patriot. I am a friend and a loyal citizen of the United States of America. I am a law-abiding citizen of, of the United States of America. As such, I believe in the American dream and the American way of life. I believe in the Constitution of America, the Bill of Rights, and all our other laws, fervently. Now, if I am being attacked, as many other Christians are being attacked, let's just name a couple of disturbing trends. There are people very high up in the intelligence agencies who have created special centers that are organized to, to bring electronic surveillance and suppression to law-abiding, Bible-believing, born-again Christian groups, because they have decided to lie. Lying is propaganda. So these so-called American intelligence groups are lying about the Christians, and they are uh, defining Christians through social media and propaganda campaigns. They are defining Christians as terrorists. Those are their words. They are saying born-again evangelical Christians who believe in Bible prophecy are terrorists. And they keep hammering home the word terrorism or a threat to the United States of America. Now, on behalf of hundreds of millions of people in the United States of America who are Christian or Catholic, who are law-abiding, who pay their taxes, who respect and honor our, our political leaders, whether we agree with them or not, who, who actually are the people that support the intelligence agencies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. As one of those people among many, um, I am deeply disturbed by how soldiers and officers and generals can create specific psyops, psychological war operations, warfare programs, where the target enemy are people who read their Bibles, people who believe in the traditional family, people who... Uh, uh, call themselves Christians, people who believe in Bible prophecy, people who believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Calling these people terrorists and direct threats to the United States of America is not only based on a total and utter lie, but it is based on a complete moral compromise where the head people and the foot soldiers make a choice with their will to deny the factual evidence and the factual truth, and then arbitrarily, not based on logic, not based on documentation, not based on any facts at all, they just arbitrarily, and yes, magically, decide 
that all Christians that believe in the Bible, that have a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ, Bible prophecy, who read the Word of God, all Christians are potential terrorists. Therefore, you need to understand the implications of this. No matter what they say publicly, therefore, it gives them the legal right to break all kinds of laws that protect you and I and protect things like freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, the right to bear arms, the right to peacefully assembly. There's just an endless, endless list of constitutional rights, the Constitution and our freedoms, that they become momentarily extinct or momentarily suspended, suspended because the people promoting what every one of our founding fathers, including the Pilgrims and Puritans and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson, all would have agreed was normal, a normal set of beliefs for the Christians and the Pilgrims and Puritans that founded our nation. Now all of these people are being categorized, quantified, lists are being made via computer, and I suspect that they are doing the same thing that they've done in other um, other uh, totalitarian nations, and that is with the advent of supercomputers, they are creating a computerized enemies list that I have heard has at minimum, at minimum, the deep state has over 52 million people, their names and addresses and their bios, and they're categorized as enemies or terrorists of the United States of America. Now, these are egregious falsehoods, which are criminal in nature, because what they do is they strip illegally the constitutional protections, the freedom of speech. They strip us of our basic American rights. All of that is thrown in the trash. You see, once you reclassify somebody from categorizing them, uh, from being a law-abiding asset to our nation who's a Christian and prays, and, you know, we, we celebrate these people because they're the backbone, one of the backbones of our nation. Once we rebrand those people as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, people who believe in Bible prophecy, people who believe in an absolute right and an absolute wrong, people who believe in Jesus Christ. And once you rebrand them and reclassify them through PSYOPs as terrorists to be locked up, because they are legally defined as terrorists, they are no longer legally protected by the same rights that everybody else is. When people are, are categorized as terrorists, they fall under a completely different umbrella of, of pseudo-legal protections and rights, which essentially means their legal rights, their constitutional rights, their Bill of Rights, their freedoms are completely stolen from them. They are people that are slaves. And it's done based on no factual evidence. There's no trial. None of your constitutional protections are in place, like the right to a speedy trial of your peers and everything else. Once you categorize somebody as a terrorist, like a Christian, it gives you the legal loophole to throw away all their rights. And you can arrest them, you can conduct a legal search and seizure, and you can do everything to them and their families 
and their churches, you can do you can now do everything to them, and it's all completely legal. But you can do the same types of things to them that the communist Chinese government, the Russian communist government, and other communist governments are free to do also to Christians and people who believe in freedom. In other words, you move out. When you're defined as a terrorist, you're secretly moved out of the zone of a person protected by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and you're secretly inserted into a zone of being a terrorist where you lose all your rights. So they can tap your phone, search your house, or whatever. This is criminal behavior as, at its highest. Now, you have to ask yourself, how could this possibly be in America? Well, look at what's happening. We have all these laws being broken, many by prominent, famous, super wealthy politicians, scientists, entrepreneurs, CEOs, uh, a huge list of people that they are protected because they hold the politically correct political point of view and values. So they are secretly protected and uh, it appears, or I should not say it appears, it is alleged by many former FBI agents, former CIA agents, former DARPA agents, former ONI, Office of Naval Intelligence Agencies. There's a whole list of whistleblowers. There's a whole list of men and women who were formerly high-ranking officials in the intelligence agencies. And they are the ones that are telling the rest of us that the, the only people that they are enforcing the law against, the only people they're arresting and searching and shutting down their businesses and draining their bank accounts, the people that they're targeting are people that are patriotic, Christians, law-abiding, and love America. The people that are globalists, part of the globalist elite, the politicians that are on the take and are being bribed in excess over a billion dollars or signed secret treaties on a globalist basis to give away our energy and stuff like that, all of those people who, who are alleged to be the real criminals who have committed real crimes, they are given a monopoly card, which is a free pass and a get-out-of-jail pass, and they become the untouchables. So that's where we are in America. Now, if this continues, and you can read about how this kind of process continues, because it's happened before many times in history, and I write about it in my books like Power from on High, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Souls of Mankind in the History of the World, and in my other books, I write about the sequential progression and evolving of totalitarianism. So, if this is allowed to continue unchecked, if the Christian community and its leadership and the ordinary Christians do not rise peacefully in the power of the Holy Spirit based on a biblical worldview and use every avenue at their disposal to protect and advance their constitutional rights, what will happen at a certain point out in the distance we call the future? There will be a major confrontation and a major collision between these two opposite ideologies. On one hand, we have Christians being called terrorists and haters, and Christians being demonically and through psychological operations being demonized and marginalized. And then on the other hand, we have people who are uh, anti-Christian. They want the New World Order. 
they, they, they hate our politicians. They're willing to lie and cheat in elections and everything else. And they are left with a kind of immunity. If these two different trajectories continue on into the future in the same way that they have been during the last 45 years, if the present trends continue, what will happen without any exception whatsoever, what will happen is the gloves will be taken off in every level of our societal structure, whether it's education, science, politics, the military, the intelligence agencies, the educational system, every level of the power centers of our society will ultimately be co-opted by this ideological virus which kills people and kills families. And the end game will be exactly what the globalists want. America will be destroyed and their new world order, known as the Global Reset, will take over. And America will be the spitting image of communist China and their surveillance system known as the communist Chinese social credit system. So we don't have much time, my friends. And I'm asking you to join with me. Time is everything. I'm asking you to join with me. I'm asking you to pray like there's no tomorrow. I'm asking you to be an intercessory prayer warrior for me, my ministry, and those that help this ministry. I'm asking you to directly call upon God, seek his face, and ask him how much he wants you to donate or contribute financially, how he wants you to be an effective spiritual prayer warrior, and how God wants you to volunteer and spread our links far and wide. And please, take it as a sacred trust. We're not charging you anything. Sign up for the e-blast, which is at paulmcguire.us, the front page. Sign up for Rumble. You know, if you're not willing to do that, I'll be honest with you. I don't consider you a partner because a partner would help me in these critic these these rigging label numbers are critical in opening doors. But we have false information being distributed. So unless you're willing to, when you go to the Paul McGuire eblast, sign up for it. We, we we do not give that out to anybody. Or are the Rumble channel? Sign up to it. Follow it. Or Brighton? Sign up and follow it. Bitshoot. There's like 25 or 30 different social media platforms. I need you to sign up and join at Roku Channel and partner and spread the word and get involved and talk about this stuff. You know, this may sound simplistic, and guess what? It is super simplistic. But this is exactly how the communists took over nation after nation, Russia, China, and so on and so on. They didn't have social media. They didn't have computers or laptops. They didn't have advanced technology. But what these communist revolutionaries did have when they took over a nation, even though they were a minority, they had little cheap newspapers they published, pamphlets they published, posters they published, and they were like tracts. They were like easy to read, but it was truth, or not truth, it was propaganda to get people to join the communist revolution. And their volunteers, see, people volunteered, their volunteers gave these tracks out, this communist propaganda out everywhere, spread it, had millions and millions of copies printed, and they spread it far and wide everywhere. And eventually, even though they were 1%, 4%, and eventually I think they were like 12%, whatever it was, whether they were 1% or 12% that were actually communists in Russia, that, let's say, that 12% flipped Russia into a communist nation. Same thing happened in communist China. The communist Chinese, the, the communists, were only like, you know, five, six percent. 
but they were diligent. And that five or six percent of communist Chinese flipped communist China into being a full-blown, full-blown communist nation. So even if we're just one percent, four percent, twelve percent, or twenty percent, God has given us His supernatural power to be fruitful and multiply. That works in these dynamics. When Jesus was under pressure to feed the 5,000 and to miraculously divide up the loaves of bread, to feed 5,000 people who needed to hear his message, God supernaturally multiplied the amount of fish he had and the amount of loaves of bread he had so he could reach all the people and more. So you can realistically expect not only a quantum exponential uh, multiplication of numbers of people reached through diligence and work. Now, this is the part I want you to own. I want you to take it home and own it. But you also have the divine right as a promise from the sovereign God that if you go before Almighty God, Jesus Christ, who's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, if you go before him in prayer and ask him anything, then Jesus will do exactly what he said he will do. He said, if you ask me anything, anything in my name, I will do it. So if you ask Jesus for anything in his name, he will do it. So you're going to ask, and I'm going to ask, like there's no tomorrow, that he opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing there isn't room enough to receive, that he sends in the angelic armies, that he sends in the technology of God, which is the chariots of fire, that he multiplies our resources, our numbers, that he multiplies and overturns and exposes their rigging operations, and that God Almighty comes down from heaven and supernaturally removes the strongholds the barricades and the walls uh, erected that are attempting to block the truth and freedom of our message. And together, we'll take the land. Hear what I just said? Together, we'll take the land. That's what they did throughout the Bible. When God's people operated as one, they experienced supernatural multiplication, just like husband and wife become one. They're fruitful and multiply. You tap into God's law of supernatural multiplication. Stand with me, I pray right now, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that the power of the Holy Spirit would fill your complete being right now in Jesus' name. I command any fear, any ambivalence, any double-mindedness to be driven out of your consciousness in the name of Jesus. I command that you would be set free to walk in power, love, and a sound mind. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that every person who's experiencing the infusion of God's powerful Holy Spirit right now, that you would raise up your hands and worship to God, who is sitting on the throne room of the universe, praise his name out loud, and take authority over every environment he puts you in, and know that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. If we unite together, we release a, a convergence of spiritual dynamite, the dunamis, the dynamite detonation power of God, and that explosion will destroy the satanic strongholds. And together, we will march forward and reconquer the land that God literally gave to the pilgrims and Puritans. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. <laughs> <laughs>